8. Romans chapter 8. And let's do the smart thing and have a word of prayer here before we get started. Uh, Heavenly Father, thankful for those that can make it out today, and we just want to pray for those, Lord, that couldn't due to sickness, work, or what have you, Lord, just uh, be with them in all ways, and we miss them, and we love them, and just pray you'd bring them back soon, and uh, Lord, just pray this time now in the Word you would bless, and you'd go before it in all ways, and just as always, Lord, you teach, and we listen in your name, amen. Alrighty, we're actually going to slow down the pace here a little bit. We've been going at a pretty good pace with the book of Romans the last few weeks. Last week we did all chapter 7 and an extra verse there in Romans 8. And we're actually only going to do, Lord willing, time willing, probably about the first nine verses of Romans 8. But we have a lot of stuff to cover. Now, in times past, I used to put this uh, slide up that used to say we'll be in Romans 8 this morning and put passages to look up of passages we were going to go to. And you guys totally ignored that. So, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to tell you, because we're going to be in a lot of passages this morning. I'm, I'm forewarning you now. And this is what happens, is, is you guys are really good at turning to like the first passage, the second passage, but by the third time I ask you to turn something, I start hearing the moans and the whines. And it's like, come on, guys, we're in church. This is, we're supposed to be in our Bible here. So I'm forewarning you, we're going to lots of places today. It's like a nice little tour. So with that being said, if you'd like to, you can take a pen and paper and you can write down where we're going to go because we have a lot of places we're going to go to this morning and a lot of good passages. Romans 8 verses 1 through 9 is a nice review and we're going to use that as a stepping stone to many other passages. So if you're taking notes or if you just want to plan ahead, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be in Galatians 5. We're also going to be in uh, John 13, Philippians 2, and two more here, Colossians 3, and Psalm 119. So we're going to be in Galatians 5. John 13, Philippians 2, Colossians 3, and Psalm 119. And some of you are just pretending to write things down because you want to look good. So with that being said, Romans 8. Now, we are in an interesting passage here in the book of Romans because Romans is, is quite the book. Probably one of the most deep books in the Bible. We really have to chew on a lot of stuff. And we've talked about this numerous times before. Through the first five chapters of the book of Romans, the point is this idea of the gospel. We're all sinners and we only can be saved by Jesus Christ. That's the point of the first five chapters. Chapters six and seven are now that you are saved, how do you live a Christian life? Okay, I've been saved by the Lord. Now, now how do I live it? Because if I'm saved by the Lord, why am I still struggling with sin? Why am I still doing the same things I don't want to do? That was what Romans 6 and 7 were about. Romans 8 is a transitional chapter. Because what happens in Romans 9, 10, and 11, it's all about Israel, which we'll get to in a few weeks. But here in Romans 8, especially the first few verses of Romans 8, it kind of reviews everything that we've talked about thus far. It brings us to where we're at. And then in really about Romans 12, it changes here a little bit. And we get some really, really good stuff here in the next couple of weeks. Some really good stuff. So with that being said... Here's our transition. We actually did the first part of Romans 8, verse 1 last week. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We talked about that. That idea of how we want to do what's right, we want to do what's good, but yet we still sin. And so we're in this spot of sin. And it's really easy then to be condemned in that spot of sin. And that God says, I'm not trying to condemn you, because I'm trying to help you. Hence verse 25 of Romans 7, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The answer is found in Jesus. Paul asked that great question in verse 24 of Romans 7. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The answer is found in Jesus. Problem is we have this condemnation that Satan tries to throw on us when God says, I'm trying to convict you, I'm trying to help you to be where you're supposed to be spiritually. Now, how do we get to that point spiritually? Isn't that the goal? 
Well, we, let's find out what Paul says here. So verse 1 of Romans 8 says, there, Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. That word there is a key word we're going to use a lot today in verse 1. Walk. Walk denotes action. It denotes progress. When you're walking, you're putting effort into something. You're moving from point A to point B. Here's the problem we see a lot in Christianity. There's not a lot of walk in Christianity. There's a lot of reaction. I react to God's love for me. I react to Jesus' call for salvation. I react to God's peace and comfort. But I really don't want to put a lot of effort into my walk with the Lord. It's really easy to sit there and twiddle your thumbs spiritually and say, I'm just going to wait till either Jesus returns or I die. The whole point, though, of our Christian walk is that we're supposed to be moving forward as a Christian. There's supposed to be progress in what we do. Now, why don't we want progress? Let's just be honest. It takes a whole lot more energy to walk than it does to sit. And we're really good at sometimes sitting spiritually. God says, no, I want you to move forward. I want you to walk. What's another reason why we don't walk? Because when you get up and try to do something, you generally run into opposition, don't you? You ever notice this with kids? The best time to have a kid is what? When they're a baby and they can't move. You stick them right in the floor, they don't go anywhere. You spend all that time waiting for them to roll over. As soon as they roll over, what do they want to do? Sin. They just want to go grab sin. They want to go grab stuff. So then once they can roll over, they start to crawl. What do they want to do? Well, they want to sin faster as they crawl. They can crawl to sin faster. And then once they start crawling, they start to walk. And what can they do? Now they can walk to sin faster. So your whole life then is now keeping them from things that you wanted them to get into because you wanted them to move. Same thing happens spiritually. Well, when I sit here, nothing really bad happens. Nothing really good happens. I really don't get my feelings hurt because I'm really not involved with stuff. I don't really get any spiritual sweat because I just kind of don't do anything. God loves me and I love God. Hey, but that's not a walk. That's a sit. God's not called us to a Christian sit. He's called us to a Christian walk. Well, what's the other problem we have with walk? Is sometimes we are walking, but we're not walking in the right spot. Did you see this in verse 1? Do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You have to make a choice. Are you walking in the flesh or are you walking in the Spirit? This is really our breakdown here for the rest of this chapter, this lesson. Are you walking in the flesh or are you going to walk in the Spirit? What are we going to do? Go to this Galatians 5 passage, please. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this idea of where we're going to walk. Galatians 5. You're going to see this word walk numerous times today through numerous passages by numerous authors. Galatians 5 verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you not, shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so you do not do the things that you wish. Now, isn't that how simple is that? I'm either walking in the flesh or I'm walking in the spirit. What does that mean? When I walk in the spirit, that means I walk according to what God wants me to do. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me as a born-again Christian, and therefore I want the things of God, the spirit. Or I can walk in the flesh, which the flesh is the flesh. It's me. It's what I want. It's my own desires and passions. Which one am I going to walk in? Well, why is it a struggle? Well, look at verse 17. The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And so these are contrary to one another, so you do not do the things that you wish. Well, isn't that Christianity? Lord, I, I'm doing things I don't want to do. I'm acting ways I don't want to act. I'm saying things I don't want to say. I'm behaving in ways I don't want to behave. And there's this whole battle that goes on inside of me of the spirit of God in me wants to be a better man, a better father, a better friend, a better pastor, fill in the blank. But there's this flesh that really likes to sin. And so there's this ongoing battle, and which way am I going to walk? Well, the answer is found in verse 24 of Galatians 5. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. That's what we talked about in Romans 6, is we have to die to who we are. 
die to those passions and those desires that bring us down, that tear us down, that pull us away from the Lord. We need to die to that. And so therefore, we crucify our flesh. Now, that's easier said than done. I'll be the first one to say that. But that's the goal. That's the plan. Well, what's it mean to walk in the flesh? Well, better yet, what's it mean to walk in the Spirit? Verses 22 and 23 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Yeah, that's the stuff I want. I want that. I want the peace, the love, the joy, the patience. I want that. That's the type of man I want to be. Dad, father, husband, that's what I want to be. Problem is, I have a tendency to do a lot of verses 19 through 21 like we talked about next week. Last week, excuse me. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I told you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. Look at the flesh again. Adultery, fornication, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. That's the stuff God says stay away from. Now you've got to ask yourself, where are you walking? Are you more in verses 19 through 21? Or are you more in verses 22 through 23? Because you have to decide where you're walking. Where you're walking determines whether you're walking in the spirit or you're walking in the flesh. I'm going to tell you right now, it is really easy to walk in verses 19 through 21. I'm going to, I'm going to go one step further. I don't think it takes any effort to walk in verses 19 through 21. I can do that with my eyes closed. Verses 22 and 23, boy, that's tough. That's real tough. And see, and this is what happens is, where are we going to walk? Now, we may look at verses 19 through 21 and we say, okay, I mean, I know those things are bad, but seriously, I'm not out there committing adultery. I'm not doing any sorcery. I'm not doing any outbursts of wrath or not doing any lewdness. Okay, yeah, maybe some jealousy, some envy and stuff, but, but those are what I call... Those, those are, those are B-minus sins. Those aren't the real bad ones. I mean, God's only talking about the bad ones right now. I mean, I may be uh, in the C-plus, B-minus stuff, but I'm not really doing the 19 through 21 stuff, so I'm not really walking in the flesh. This is what we do. We justify then, don't we? Because there's always somebody worse than me. I mean, I'm not out killing people or doing things like that. Here's the problem, though. This, this phrase, walk, and walking in the spirit, walking in the flesh, is once again repeated throughout the Bible numerous times. It's in Jude, it's in Ephesians, it's in Galatians. And every time you read it, the list is a little differently. So you may read the list in Galatians and you should say, I'm not doing a lot of those things, I'm okay. Well, let me read you a couple passages here out of Jude. It says in the book of Jude, it says right here, in verse 18, you don't need to turn there, that there's people that walk according to their own ungodly lusts. They walk according to ungodly lusts. Okay, but what are these ungodly people doing? I mean, they're probably killing people. You know, the adulteries, the fornications, the lewdness, the idolatry, the sorcery. That's what they're doing, right? These ungodly people. No, let me tell you what the ungodly people are doing in Jude. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts in their mouth, great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Ooh, grumblers and complainers. See, now, here's the problem. In my mind, murders, idolatry, sorceries, lewdness, blah, 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 that, that's, that's up here. Grumbling and complaining, I mean, that's down here. I mean, yeah, Jesus did die for the grumbling and complainers, but he was really more dying for the murderers. Because grumbling and complaining is, once again, that's a C-minus sin. That's not a big one. It's like a fourth-degree sin. I mean, you really don't even count it. Problem is, in God's mind, the grumbling and the complaining is equivalent to the murdering. So we as Christians, when we go around grumbling, it's the equivalent of going around murdering. When we go around complaining, it's the equivalent of going around and committing sorcery and idolatry. No, yeah, that's what it is. God is just as upset with the murders and the idolatries and the sorceries as he is with the grumbling and the complaining. 
So we have a tendency to not walk in the flesh because I'm not doing that stuff. But then you read a verse like grumbling and complaining, it's like, that's me. Well, I tell you one thing I will say, and I'm not picking on Christians because I'm looking at myself in a spiritual mirror. As believers that are born again and saved, and we have the inheritance of heaven, we have joy, we have peace from God, why do we grumble and complain so much? Heaven's not good enough to look forward to. God living inside of our hearts is not good enough to be happy about. It's amazing how often as Christians, we are some of the biggest grumblers and complainers in the world. I've, I've said this numerous times. Some of the most unhappy people I've ever met claim to be Christians. And I always think, where's the joy of the Lord? Why? Because if you choose to walk in the flesh, there is no joy. There's not. Jump back now to Romans 8. What happens when you decide to walk in the flesh? Well, look at the compare and contrast here. Check it out in verse 2. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Just look at the description there. If I'm in Christ, I have life and I have freedom. If I'm in, if I'm in sin, verse 2, in the flesh, I have sin and death. How does that even compare? I mean, life and freedom, sin and death. Those are polar opposites. And so when I see somebody walking in sin and death, I'm like, wait a second, why aren't you walking in the life and freedom that Christ has? Now, generally, if you ask the person that, you hear some response back, well, you don't know what I'm going through, you don't know my circumstances. How many times have we said out here, you keep your eyes on the Savior, not the circumstances? Circumstances will bring you down. Circumstances are depressing. The Savior will never let you down. The Savior is never depressing. When you keep your eyes on Jesus, it gets you through those tough times of life. The flesh will bring sin and death. The Spirit brings life. Verse 3, For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did so by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and according, on, excuse me, on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Look at that. The flesh, once again, it's weak. It's weak. Yet we still think we can do stuff. I hear it all the time. I hear my own mouth say these words. I get myself into a spot spiritually where things aren't going well, and I use the word I a lot. I just need to get back on track. I just, need to, I just need to try a little hard. I just need to read the Bible a little more. I just need to pray a lot. I just need to... Well, wait a second here. Verse 3 says I'm weak. A lot of eyes. Marriage difficulties. I hear people say, well, I, I just need to do this and, and the marriage will be going better. Job difficulties. I just need to do this. No, you can't do anything. That, that's, that's the flesh mentality of weakness. That's the flesh mentality of you can't do it. It's the Lord that has to be the strength that does it through it. And that's why Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh is to take care of it. I mean, in just a few weeks, we're going to celebrate this fact of Jesus coming in the flesh. Now, we, we dress it up a little bit, don't we? You know, we have the lights and the, and the trees, and everything looks pretty, and we'll hand out presents. And Jesus is so cute, the little baby in the manger. But when you read verse 3, he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. That's the way God looks at Christmas. Now, we don't like to look at it from that perspective. Why? Because if we look at him coming in sinful flesh, well, that means we're really putting us down. He came in the likeness of you and me. I don't think I'm all that bad. Well, if I wasn't all that bad, why did Jesus die for me? I was sinful that needed to be dealt with. There's not an equivalent. There's not. The closest I can ever come up into my mind is, would you become a worm to die for all the worms? No way. But God became man to die for men. That is an amazing thought. And he just didn't come to die. He came to set such an example that it's unbelievable when you really stop and you think about what he did. Please turn to John 13. John 13. Because he came in the form of sinful man to die. But he did even more than that. He set an example for us here. Look at John 13. Let's look in verse 1. 
It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God. Now let's stop right there. Don't, don't, don't sin and read verse 4 yet. Stay with me. Just pretend verse 4 doesn't exist. If you would stop right there, what a great introduction to something deep, right? You have, you have this great verse 1 of Jesus had, had come to the world. He loved the world. Uh, verse 2, the enemy is in, in Judas, and here's this great struggle of good versus evil. Verse 3, Jesus knows everything that's going to happen. He's come from God. He's going to God. You, you expect something deep now in verse 4. You don't get that. You get verse 4. Rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. That's not deep. That's embarrassing. The lowest position in the New Testament slave order, if you will, was washing feet. There was no lower position than washing feet. Okay, 21st century feet are gross. Jump back 2,000 years ago. They were worse. And so the lowest position you could have as a servant was to wash feet. And here his God, in the form of a man, that, that puts on his work clothes, if you will, takes out his otter garments and has on his work clothes, and starts washing feet. Now a lot of times we pick on Peter. But I have to agree with Peter's response here in verse 6. I would do the same thing. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Jump ahead, if you will, to verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to him, Do you know why I have done this to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as have I done to you. That's deep. You need to wash feet. I mean, the, the whole point here is Jesus came as a sinful man. I shouldn't say as a sinful man. He came in the form of a sinful man to die for sins. But he just didn't die to take care of our sins. He set an example of what we're supposed to be doing now as we walk in the Spirit. You want to know how to walk in the Spirit? You need to wash feet. You, you, everybody here works with somebody that annoys you. God says wash their feet. Not literally, obviously, please. But that idea, you are going to run into family members over these next three weeks. Some of those family members you don't like. God says, wash their feet. You may be living with somebody right now that you need to wash their feet. This is Christianity at its finest. Is I lower myself than you to serve you as the example that Jesus came. Wow, that's tough. In fact, he went one step further. In the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. That's the mindset of Christ, is I came to serve, and I'm going to serve in the lowest positions because there is not a hierarchy here. But don't we do this in life? We don't come out and say these words, but, but that calling, that service, is that, well, that's below me. Or we say things like, you know what? I've been the mature one for so long, I'm tired of doing it. I'm always the one to go back and say I'm sorry first. I'm always the one to try to go work this out. I'm always the one. But then you're washing feet, you're doing good. God will honor that. A lot of times in lives and marriages and work relationships, the reason you have so many fights, the reason I have so many fights is no one's willing to wash feet. Jesus said I'm willing to do that. What an example to follow. See, here's the problem. When we run into sin, what does the world try to do with sin? The world tries to fix sin by, number one, programs. We set up programs to fix sin. Or number two, as a government, as a nation, we throw money at sin. We'll just keep funding 
And we'll try to figure out an answer later on. The way you fix sin is by Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can fix sin. Christianity is absolutely messy. Ask yourself this. When's the last time you got your hands dirty spiritually? When's the last time you washed feet spiritually? We do everything we can to try to stay out of it. There's people that we try to avoid. There's scenarios and service opportunities that we try to avoid because we don't want to get our hands dirty. We don't want to wash feet. We want to stay out of the messiness of Christianity where Jesus said, you're here to get dirty. That's why you are here, is to go to those messy people and show the love of Jesus. To go to those scenarios and situations no one else wants to. And you know what? Sometimes we don't feel led, but we all use this phrase a lot. Well, I just don't feel led to get involved. That's really a cop-out a lot of times, isn't it? Now, maybe, honestly, the Lord's leading and you don't feel led, and that's fine. There's a lot of times where the messiness of the service, the messiness of the people, are just tired of getting dirty. That's why we're here. We have all of eternity to be white and spotless. We're supposed to be dirty down here in the sense of being in people's lives and showing love. But as it says in the book of Jude, you don't get stained by their garments, meaning you don't let their lifestyle affect you, but you're out there to make a difference. And Jesus set the best example here of saying, I'm going to wash feet. Now, why would he do this? Well, the answer is found back in Romans, if you will. Go back to Romans 8. Here's this 25-cent word that we learned back in Romans 3. Verse 4, actually do the first part of uh, verse, last part, excuse me, of verse 3. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. He gave us righteousness. Remember, righteousness is just a big fancy word that means to be made right. I'm wrong. I need to be made right. I'm sinful. I need to be made right. I can't make myself right. I can't make my life right. I can't make my scenarios right. So therefore, I have to be made right by God. That's what Jesus did. He made us right. And that is why we are here, is that he made us right, so now that we want to live for him. Okay, this is all great. How do we do that? How do we live for him? I mean, isn't that what we talked about last week in Romans 7? I want to do what's right. I want to do what's good. I want to be the better person. We just talked about that earlier today in Galatians. I want to be the better man. This flesh thing keeps popping up. Verse 5, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. We just quoted that verse from Philippians 2, 5. It says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Ask yourself, where's your mind at? If you're constantly thinking about things you shouldn't be thinking about, I always tell people, where the mind goes, the body follows. That's just the way it is. If you constantly keep dwelling on those things you shouldn't dwell on, what do you think you're going to desire and want? You're going to want those things that you shouldn't want. We set our minds on things of the flesh. And then we're shocked and amazed when our flesh wants to do those things. We fantasize. We fantasize about things. We fantasize about people. We fantasize about words we're going to say. We fantasize about you fill in the blank. And so our mind goes to this fleshly mindset and then what happens is our flesh says, I will only be satisfied when I have that. Or according to verse 5, if we live according to the Spirit... Our mind is on the things of the Spirit. This is one of the simplest statements in the world. When I think about the things of God, things just go better. Nothing deep, nothing profound there. When I think about the things of God, when I meditate on that, things just go better. One of my favorite verses is Philippians 4.8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. If my mind is on the things of God, it just goes better. If I listen to teaching or Christian music in the car, things just go better. If we're at home and we're playing on the floor there with all the boys, instead of having the TV on, if we flip on the, the computer and we have either teaching going or Christian music in the background, it just goes better. 
when I'm in the things of the Lord, thinking about the things of the Lord, my mind is clearer, it's better, it's farther away from temptation and sin. It's when I allow my mind to go in the gutter that I'm constantly trying to get my mind out of it. How do you do that? I mean, some of us, I mean, depending on how old you are, some people have been walking with their minds in the gutter for decades. That's a hard thing to change. For decades, if someone said something you didn't like, well, you responded with a few choice words. For decades, if there's a gal that walked by, you didn't care if you were married or not, you're going to take a look at the gal. For decades, whatever you wanted, you thought about, you dwelled on, you fantasized about, and so that's where your mind went. So all of a sudden now, you don't want to do those things, and it's really hard to train your mind to not do that. See, now this is where we could just stop the lesson now and say, hey, there's good points here, let's go on. But isn't the whole point here to figure out how to get your mind where it's supposed to be? How do we do that? Turn, if you will, to Colossians 3. Colossians 3 is the best chapter here on trying to get your mind where it's supposed to be. Where the mind goes, the body follows. If the mind is on the things of the flesh, the body will be in the flesh. If the mind is on the things of the spirit, that's where my spirit will want to be, is on the things of God. Colossians 3 sums this up nicely. Colossians 3, verse 1, it says, If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Verse 2 is a refrigerator verse. Isn't that so simple? Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. But you know what the hard part about that verse is? Go back to verse 1. Seek those things which are above. Seek denotes effort, just like walking denotes effort. means I have to put some effort into this. I don't want to think on those things. I want to think on something else, so therefore I need to do that. Too often we just sit there and say, Lord, help me, I don't want to think about it, but I really do. I mean, people come in all the time. I'm struggling with this. What are you struggling about? I'm just always thinking about this. I'm always fantasizing about this. I'm always worked up about this. It's like, well, do you want to stop thinking about it? Honestly, no. There's a pleasure in thinking about some of those things. There, there, you, you just feel this, what's the word I'm looking for, almost this adrenaline rush of just thinking about it. And it can be all type of stuff. It could be the lust of the flesh. We talked about last week, it can be those anger fantasies of what well, they say this, I'll say this. I mean, I, I've done that. I know, I've noticed that with Dawn, that uh, you know, you can just have this conversation and you just start thinking about, you know what, I bet she's going to say this. When she says this, I'm going to say this. And it becomes like this chess match in your head. No, nothing good comes out of that. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to seek things which are above, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Okay, question to ask. Where's your mind? Are you heavenly minded or are you in the gutter? If you're heavenly minded, that's step one. We can look forward with this. If your mind's in the gutter... You have to want to get your mind out of the gutter. Well, how do you do that? Verse 3, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. As we talked about a couple weeks ago, when you die to the flesh, we had this great little comment, you can't tempt the, excuse me, you can't tempt the dead man. So since you can't tempt a dead man, you're dead. Problem is, I'm not willing to die to those things. I'm not willing to put my life with Christ. I want to think about it. I want to do it. So what do we need to do? Verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members, which are on earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. We need to put those things to death. We have to die to that. goes into more detail there in verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. We have to put those things off. Now ask yourself this. Verse 8. Are you putting those things on? Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, etc. Did you catch this in verse 10? We have to put the new man on, not put the old man on. Every time you get up, you have to decide what clothes you're going to wear during the day. Are you going to wear the old man or are you going to wear the new man? Now, why do we always pick the old man clothes? To be quite honest, they're more comfortable. I've worn them for years. They fit very nicely. 
I'm used to the way they feel. I like the way they smell. I just like the thing. New man clothes, it just doesn't fit right. I mean, I'm trying to be the new man, but it just doesn't fit right. You know why the new man clothes don't fit right? Because I'm still a sinner. It's really easy to go to the old man clothes. It's really easy in the marriage to have a few weeks of things going good then jump back to the old man clothes because that's what we're used to. It's really easy to go into work tonight or tomorrow and say, you know what, I'm going to be different. And then for a few weeks you're different, then you jump back to the old man clothes. It's really easy to say, you know what, I'm going to get up every morning and set my alarm and I'm going to read and pray and fill in the blank. But then it's really easy to jump back to the old man clothes. The old man clothes we are used to. They are broken in. Sometimes they feel better. The problem is the old man clothes are stained with sin. We're just so used to the smell and the look at it, it doesn't bother us anymore. We want to put on the new man. That's what we want. Verse 12, therefore, as the elect of God, elect just means chosen, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. You have to make a choice of what you are going to put on. Are you going to jump back and do verse 8? Are you going to do the anger, wrath, malice, etc.? Or are you going to do verses 12 and 13? Tender mercies, kindness, humility, forgiveness, patience, etc. You get to decide what you're going to wear. So once you decide what you're going to wear, that dictates what's going to happen. Well, if you choose the good things, verse 14, sum it up in love. Look at the result of this, verse 15. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. That's what I want. Where does peace come from? Peace comes from putting on the new man. When you put on the new man, there's peace. You are called into one body and be thankful. Now, once again, we could stop right here at verse 15 and say, okay, that, that's great, but you still haven't told us how do it. This is all great. Think about heavenly things. Don't think about the gutter. Put on the new man. Don't put on the old man. That, that's all great. How? How do we do it? Verse 16 is the answer. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. How do you do it? How do you put on the new man? First step, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Be in the word. Now here's the problem with being in the word. You already knew it. See, here's the thing. We sit here and wait for something deep and profound. Okay, there's going to there's be a verse today I've never heard. There's going to be a point today that's never been made. And this verse, this point, this prayer is going to all of a sudden just make it easy. We know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be in the word. We're supposed to be in teaching. That's what you're in right now. We're supposed to be in admonishment. That's what we're in right now. We're supposed to be in the Word because as you're in the Word, you grow the spiritual man and the physical man dies. Next one, in psalms and hymns. We just did that a half hour, 45 minutes ago. That's the purpose of worship is the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That grows you in your walk in relationship with the Lord. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. See, here's the thing. We don't claim perfection out here, but I do tell you this. I always tell people, walking through the doors out here will, will do absolutely nothing. But... If you come in with an open heart, you will get something out of the teaching or something out of the worship or something out of the fellowship. You will get something out of something. I firmly do believe that if you come with an open heart. You may listen to the teaching and get nothing out of it, but there may be that one worship song that really touches you. You may get nothing out of the teaching and the worship, but there's something with the fellowship where somebody comes over to you and says that one thing to you that's exactly what you needed to hear. When you open up your heart to what the Lord wants, He will answer and He will respond. But it takes effort on our part to do that. Are you allowing the Word of God to dwell in you? Are you allowing teaching to dwell in you? Are you allowing yourself to be admonished? Admonished means to be warned. Do you allow the Spirit to come and say, hey, I'm concerned about you? Do you have that time of worship? 
Those are the things that are going to grow you and help you. Turn, if you will, to Psalm 119. We're getting down to our final stuff here that we're going to say. Because here's what happens. People come in a lot, and they want to know what's going on. They're struggling with things. So we usually find out what they're struggling with, and one of the things that we always do is we, we find verses that deal with that sin or that struggle that they're going through. And I always send the verses home with them. I say, go home and meditate on these verses. Pray on these verses. Let the Lord lead. Most of the time, people just accept the verses and usually go home and don't do it. They don't say anything. Years ago, I was helping somebody, and they said, they said why? Why? What's it going to do? I've been struggling with this sin for years, so I'm going to go home. And they, and they weren't being confrontational. They were really asking. I'm going to go home and read these magic verses, and all of a sudden, it's going to be better. Well, first off, if you treat it like it's a have to, you're not going to get anything out of it. If you treat it like it's something you want to, then you'll get something out of it. I never knew how to respond to that. And then Psalm 119 had the best answer. If you want a really in-depth study, go to Psalm 119 here, because Psalm 119 is 176 verses, longest chapter in the Bible. In fact, we did a study on um, uh, Wednesday nights years ago on Psalm 119. It's a great study on the Word of God, and if you want that, ask the sound guys, and I'm sure they can get you a copy of it. But what it is, it's the Hebrew alphabet broken down, and each little section deals with attribute of the Bible. Well, Psalm 119 verses 9 through 16 help us with the sin aspect. Look at these verses, verse 9 of Psalm 119. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Now, how simple is that? I, I want my way to be cleansed and pure. How does that happen? By listening to the word of God. How simple is that? How can James cleanse his way? By taking heed according to the word. When you're in the word, things go better. But how are you supposed to be in the word? Look at verse 10. With my whole heart, I have sought you. Well, let me not wander from your commandments. Just be honest. Be honest. Those times that you tried getting into the Word or you tried coming to church or you tried really listening, was the whole heart in it? I I've tried that. There's been times in my spiritual life where I feel myself going backwards instead of forwards. Yeah, I should probably get in the Word a little bit. Okay, let me flip the Bible open. Okay, let's just go somewhere here. Okay, good. Habakkuk. All right, I'll just read something in Habakkuk. I read a chapter in Habakkuk. I got nothing out of it. Okay. With my whole heart, I sought you, Lord? No. I gave a half-hearted effort. Just like one of those times, if you ever have a conversation with somebody, you could tell they really just were not in talking to you. I mean, yeah, they're listening. They respond every now and then accordingly, and they do a few nods, but you could tell they're really not listening. Some of you are that way right now with me. I'm okay with that. But the point is, with my whole heart, I have sought you. Do you want the word of God to speak to you? And go in it with your whole heart saying, Lord, I believe that you can speak through this. Do you want your ways cleansed? And go into the word of God saying, Lord, I know that you can use this. Cleanse me. Verse 11, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's a power in taking those scriptures and areas that you are struggling with and memorizing them. If you want to know what sins I'm struggling with, look in my car because you'll see three by five index cards. Go to my refrigerator. And look in my fridge, and you'll see verses up there. Whatever I'm struggling with, that's the verse that gets stuck up there. As long as it doesn't say murder, I think I'm doing okay for the most part. So <laughs> you look at my car, it's like, why does James have murder underlined and highlighted? I don't know. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might sin against you. There is a power in being in the word and saying, Lord, I believe by being in this word and searching out and seeking this word and letting this word dwell in me, it helps. Why? Because I'm focusing on the spirit and not the flesh. It's that simple. You, you want to walk in the Spirit, not the flesh? Let the Word of God dwell in you. Let your mind be on heavenly things, not on things of the gutter. Seek the things of God. Walk. Walking and seeking take effort. Verse 12, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. Does the Word of God enrich you? What's more exciting? Finding the $20 bill that went through the laundry or finding a verse that just totally blesses you. See, here's the thing. The writer of Psalms here is saying 
The word of God is like riches to him, so much that he rejoices in the word of God because it speaks to him. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. Those words, meditate and contemplate, each translation says it differently. Those are words that we normally do not do. I'm not picking on anything like this because Dawn uses it. I've never got into it, but Dawn does. It's, it's the daily readings. And it's like, you know, you read, you know, I think the one she does right now is like you read a chapter out of Proverbs, you have an Old Testament reading, then you have a New Testament reading. I, I think that's great. I have no problem with that. What I run into, and, I, and this happened to me this week with devotions, I was reading this great devotional, and I came across this one verse. I just stopped. And in verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts. And God, I just sat there and just chewed and chewed and chewed. I didn't care what the rest of the devotional had to say. That verse was the verse that the Lord wanted to speak to me. And I just want to encourage you in your quiet times with God. You may go in with the mindset of, I'm going to read three chapters today. But that's good. You may find one verse into the first chapter that you can't get past. Don't sit there and say, oh, this is a great verse, but I've got to get these other readings done. There'll be plenty of time to read. There'll be plenty of time. Or you may get down three chapters. You'll be like, wow, that one quick. I'm good. I'm done. Maybe go read a few more. See, the thing is, it's not a homework. It's not a have to. It's a want to. You want to find that verse of verse 15 that you meditate on, that you contemplate on, that you chew on, because that's how God does it. And so what happens is you spend the rest of the day thinking about that verse. And so anytime a situation pops up, you use that verse. I don't know what areas you're struggling with, but you find the verse that you're struggling with that area, and then what happens when that area pops up during the day, be it worry, be it lust, be it fear, be it with anxiety, you keep contemplating and meditating on that verse. There's power in that. And if you don't know what verse to use, call me, text me, email me. We will find you the verses in the Bible that deal with that area. We truly will, because God's word is good. Let's look at the last verse, verse 16. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. There's a power in the word of God. And when you are in the word of God, it helps you to dwell on things above. When you have a time of worship, that Christian music, it helps you dwell on the things above. When you are around other like-minded believers, it helps you dwell on the things that are above. How do you get your mind out of the gutter? Be in the word, be in praise, be with other believers. Those things will help you dwell on what's right. And I see it, and I see it way too often. You see a Christian that starts out strong, their time in the word goes away a little bit. We don't hang out with Christians as much. And I'm not saying as Christians, let's be egotistical and Christians only with Christians. I'm not saying that. But the next thing you know, they're spending more time with the world than they are with the believers. And worship just becomes concert. You can just see them start walking in the flesh more and more and more. Stay strong in those things that God stayed strong to. Let's finish this up here. Back to Romans, please. It's a few short verses that are very self-explanatory. We left off in verse 5. That's the last verse we read there. Of those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. What's the big deal? Can I be in the flesh and be with God? Can I find this happy medium? Well, look at verse 6. For to be carnally minded, to be fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. How simple is that? If you're in the flesh, it's death. If you're in the Spirit, there's life and peace. Verse 7, because the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, is fighting against God. For it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Isn't that what it is? Isn't some of our Christian walk a constant fight? I want to do this, and God says that will hurt you, that will harm you. And this is battle inside of you. The Holy Spirit says no, but your flesh says yes. And so what it is, it's verse 7. When I'm fleshly minded, when I'm a carnal Christian, I'm fighting against God, there is no peace. We've said out here numerous times that most unhappy people in the world are believers that know what they should be doing and are not doing it. They can't have joy in the world because they're convicted by the Spirit. And then they try to go closer to God but without changing their ways. They're convicted by the Spirit. What's the best thing to do? Quit fighting God. Realize the carnal, the flesh, will destroy you, destroy your marriage, destroy your witness, destroy your relationships, destroy everything. It's not worth it. It brings death. 
But verse 6, the spiritual-minded is life and peace. Boy, that's what we want. Boy, God, help us to have that mindset. I want to focus on the things of the Lord, not the things of the flesh. Marvin, come forward here for the final song.